Thank you, worship team, our special worship team today. I appreciate that. Let's give them a hand for their, for their help this morning. Now, isn't it awesome to see when youth are taking a stand for Christ? Amen. It's just an awesome thing. And then the boldness to go out and, and share their faith. And, and I have to be honest, if I look at the world when, that I grew up in when I was a teenager, it was not nearly as hostile towards the gospel as it is right now. Isn't that, isn't that the truth? Yeah. And the, right around us all over the world, um, uh, the, the world is more and more hostile towards God. So it, even then, it means more when I see our youth taking a stand for Christ. And they're going out on their bikes and they're starting conversations and telling people why they're out there and that they're out there for, for Christ. What a blessing it is to see that. Um, in fact, I'd have to ask the question in my, mind, in my own mind is, why is it that so many of us as adults have lost that? Remember how bold we were as teens in our faith, how bold we were? And sometimes something happens between, between adolescence and adulthood, somewhere in there, we start to lose some of that boldness and that courage uh, for, for Christ. And so I think that there's sometimes a lesson that we adults can learn from the youth. Amen. Uh, and when we look at that, in fact, that's what, uh, what I'd like to talk to today is a, is a lesson that comes from the youth. And so if you'll turn with me to 1 Samuel, chapters 13 and 14. And I know what you're thinking. Pastor Dave's getting, getting up here late and he's covering two chapters. We're going to be here forever. Don't worry. It's not going to be that long. But I, I do want to share something from a, a portion of that. And just to give a little bit of background on what's going on in this text here. Um, this is when Israel... Uh, uh, wanted a king. And so all the adults, they wanted a king, and so they picked a, 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 a king based on all of the human standards of what, was, uh, what they wanted to, to, for a king, and so they picked Saul. You might remember King Saul, and uh, he was a man who was head, head and shoulders above the rest by all human standards. However, he was proving not to be such a great king spiritually. In fact, in the context of in the first half of chapter 13, in the first 14 verses, what you read about uh, is how Saul usurped the authority of the priest, and it's the priest's job to offer the sacrifices, and war was coming up on them, and so he thought, well, I'll just, I'll just do it because the priest isn't here. And so the moment that he actually commits the sin and he, he, uh, he offers the sacrifice, guess who shows up? The priest, right? And Samuel shows up and says, what, you know, asks him what's going on, and what does he do? He gives excuse after excuse after. He never once admitted that what he did was wrong. And so that leads us to where we are in, the first, in 1 Samuel 13, starting at verse 15, because what we find is that when Israel's leader was not doing well spiritually, what you end up having is, is uh, that they, were, they started losing their battles, and they started losing to the, to the Philistines in a very bad way. So let's look at verse 15 of 1 Samuel 13. We read this. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people present with him, about 600 men. Think about this. Saul's army at this point has been reduced to 600 men. I mean, that's a small army now. I mean, 600 men are left with them. Everyone else has lost or gone home or quit. Uh, right now, his army is down to 600 men. Then we find in verse 16, Saul, Jonathan, his son, and the people present with them remained in Gibeah of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped in Michmash. I think it's important to understand here a, a, a little bit of context. Gibeah was Saul's military capital. 
So he is now backed up, and he's had to retreat and retreat and, and retreat until he's back into his, his military capital. And so he, he, he's purely on the defense at this point. And then we find that the Philistines were encamped in Michmash, which is very interesting because that's inside Israelite territory. So they actually built their camp inside Israelite territory. Things are not going well. Verse 17. Then raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned onto the road towards Ophrah to the land of Shual. Another company turned to the road to Beth Horon. And another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. Now we don't know exactly how many, how many soldiers the Philistines had at this point. But we know they had at least enough for three raiding parties. So they had, the, they had superior numbers, right? They had superior numbers to what the Israelites had. And then in verse 19, we read this. There was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, let the Hebrews make sword, swords or spears. Now think about that for a moment. Uh, the Philistines had some advantages that the Israelites didn't have. They had the ability now to smelt iron, so they had superior weapons. Um, and they wiped out every Israeli blacksmith. So that was actually pretty smart when you think about it, wasn't it? I mean, so they wiped out all of their, all of their blacksmiths, so they had no way of creating weapons. And, uh, and so they have the superior weapons, they have superior numbers, they have a superior strategy, obviously, here as well. And let's look at what the Israelites had to fight with, verse 20. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for sharpening was a pin for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to set the points of the goads. Think about that for a moment. Israel was now fighting with garden tools. Think about that. So you've got three raiding parties of, of the Philistines. You've got 600 men with Saul. What are the weapons like? You have garden tools, and those had to be sharpened by the enemies, and so they were charging an exorbitant amount just to sharpen your garden tools. And how would you feel about the Philistines at that point? Now, let me ask you, as adults, what would, what would your feeling be about the Philistines at that point? I don't know about you, but I'd be afraid. Anyone else with me? I would be very nervous about that situation. And so as we read the text, it just takes us deeper and deeper into despair, really, at this point. Things are not looking good for Israel. Now comes the day of battle. Look at verse 22. So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. But they were found with, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass at Michmash. So I want you to, to sense what it's like. Put yourself into the shoes of the Israelites for a moment, right? And let's side up what's going on. This is the day of battle, Israel versus Philistines. And on your side, what you have, you have two swords and garden tools. There's your weapons, right? Two swords. The king has a sword. The king's son has a sword. That's it. None of the 600 men with Saul had a, had a sword. You also have 600 men... 600 scared men, we find. Uh, and you have absolutely no battle strategy. You're on the defense. You've run back. You've retreated as far as you can retreat. And now you're locked up in your milita military for fortress. And this is it. 
What do the Philistines have? The Philistines have the entire Philistine army with superior numbers, with superior weaponry, and with a superior strategy. This takes us to the pit of despair of the story, right? Things are not looking good for Israel. Then we come to chapter 14, and we're introduced to two young men. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. That's interesting here. Jonathan's a young man at this point. He was a, he was a, was a young man. His armor bearer, even younger. Armor bearers were typically somewhere between 13 and 15 years old. They're youths, right? Their job is to not fight. Usually by the time you're 15, you're allowed to fight. And so uh, you had to be a little bit younger than that to be an armor bearer because then your job would be to just carry the weaponry so that someone who actually knows how to fight would be a little bit more well-rested when it came time to fight. So Jonathan goes to his, his armor bearer, a teenager, and says, come, let's go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. Now, how many of you think, as adults, that's a great plan? Right? I mean, so, but this is the, the bravery that, that we find here of, of Jonathan. And, and uh, it's just, I mean, he basically says to his, his armor bearer, you know, things are looking pretty, pretty glim, right? Yeah, boy, we're outnumbered. We're outweaponed. We're out, we're out strategized. Let's go take them. Let's go take them out, just you and me. Can you imagine that? I mean, do you feel the gravity of what's actually being said here by, uh, by Jonathan at this point? I mean, does it seem crazy to you? And I would say, yes, it seems crazy to me. And I think that's because somewhere along the line, I started thinking like an adult, right? I started thinking like someone who, as an adult, we're more cautious and we start, we, we're a little more gun-shy about things. And we start thinking and we're, we're looking at the numbers and we're looking at the weaponry and we're looking at the strategy. And we look at that and say, I don't know, this, is, this seems crazy, but what I find is interesting here is that sometimes it's the simple faith of a child that God's looking for in us. Sometimes it's that simple faith that says, you know what, it's, it's God. In fact, when you think of a child, what do, what do children, time, uh, children often say when they're arguing with other children in school? They say, my dad can what? My dad can beat up your dad, right? How many of you have ever said that before? My dad can beat up your dad, right? And... Uh, and so it's, there's just this sense of which children have this faith in their dads. They have this faith that, yeah, my dad could take your dad on. It doesn't matter if your dad's a UFC fighter. It doesn't matter. My dad can take on your dad, right? And there's that simple childlike faith. And I think that if we could maintain that, but not necessarily for our dads, but to our Heavenly Father and say, you know what? My God can take on your army. My God can take on all your armies. My God created the universe. In fact, your armies are being held together and sustained by my God's word. In just a moment, he could consume them like that. All of a sudden, things would change. But somewhere, in our, as, we, as we go from youth to adulthood, I think we lose some of that. And, and, uh, and I think the adults, at least in this story, did. Because if you'll notice, at the end of that, uh, at the end of that verse, it says, But he did not tell his father. So Jonathan says... I'm going to go, and I'm just going to take my armor bearer with me, and we'll go defeat the, 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 uh, the Philistines by ourselves. But I'm not, I better not tell Dad. Why? 
I would suggest that the reason, in context, the most likely reason is because his dad was being a coward like every other adult in the story. Being a coward. In fact, where was Saul at this moment? Look at verse 2. It says, And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod, but the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. So it's interesting to me, where, where Saul, he's hiding under a pomegranate tree, right? In fact, what we'll find out a little bit later is that the 600 men with him were hiding in caves near the pomegranate tree. They were actually hiding from the Philistines at this point. When all along the answer was right there, they had the priest was right there. He was wearing the ephod. They had access to God. And what you don't find is you don't find Saul going to the Lord in prayer. You don't find the 600 men going to the Lord in prayer. You don't find any of them tapping into the resource that was right there for them. But instead you have them hiding. They had given in to, to cowardice. And then we set the stage here a little bit. Look at verse 4 and 5. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. Part of the reason I love this story, I love, I love rock climbing stories. And, uh, just, and the name of one was Boses and the name of the other, Senna. The front of one faced the northward opposite Michmash and the other southward opposite uh, Gibeah. So, so you've got these two cliffs, this valley in between. So it kind of sets the stage, verse 6. And Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Do you see that childlike faith that Jonathan had right there? He's saying, God can win. It doesn't matter if we have a lot of people in on this. Or it doesn't matter if there's just a few. Why? Because God's on our side. God's going to win this battle. God, he, God can do this. It's, not, it's no big thing to deal with, with, the, with the enemies. And he had that childlike faith, that total confidence in God. And in fact, if you compare the, the, the faith of Saul to, uh, to his son Jonathan, and you look at, at Saul, and it was very, very clear. Saul had a very low fear of God. In fact, he had access to, to the priest and ha- didn't even think to, to seek out God's help in this. He had a low fear of God and he had a high f- a fear of man. So he, he starts looking at, at the, the 600 men he had. He compares that to the enemies and he's, oh man, this is, this is tough. We're in a bad, bad situation. And you know what we call that when you have a low fear of God and a high fear of man? There's a word for that. It starts with C. It's called cowardice. Why? Because when you have a a low fear of God and a a high view of man, then all of a sudden you're going to realize you're outnumbered. And I'll tell you what, as Christians in our culture, we will always be outnumbered. When you look at the enemies around us and you look at at, at what's going on around us, we're going to be outnumbered all the time. And if you have a low fear of God and a high fear of man, you will never get out there and witness. Why? Because it's a scary world out there, right? And I'll tell you, this is, I think, what has happened to a lot of us as adults. A lot of us uh, is this, this cowardice that comes because our fear of God is too low and our fear of man is too high. Compare that to Jonathan. He had this high fear of God. He says, God can win 
whether it's by many or by few, that's a high view of the fear of God. How did he view the Philistines? Oh, they're nothing compared to God. So he had this low fear of man. There's a word for that, too. You know what that word is? It also starts with a C. And that word is courage. Do you want to know the difference between a courageous man and a coward? It's their view of God and their view of man. If you have a high view of God and a low view of, of the enemies of God, of man, then guess what? You'll be courageous. You'll do great and mighty things. But if you have a low fear of God and a high fear of man, you'll be a coward. You'll be, spiritually speaking, under the pomegranate tree or hiding in a cave. And that's what we find here is, is that, that Jonathan, he had, he had courage. But not just Jonathan in the story. There's an unsung hero in the story. Look at verse 7. Remember, he, he, said this, he gave this plan to the armor bearer. Look how his armor bearer responds. Verse 7. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you according to your heart. I like some, one translation that I read. It says, I am with you heart and soul. The whole idea of what, of what is being said here is the armor bearer is saying, Count on me. I am with you. What is he saying? I will join you. Just the two of us versus all the Philistines. And this young teenager says, I have that same high view of God as you do, Jonathan. Count me in. Just the two of us. Now, that sounds great in a story. This is reality. This is a true story. When you think about that, wow. What a, what a, a, a courageous heart. Then listen to Jonathan's plan. In case you think that Jonathan was just this great strategist, uh, I, uh, it's, it, I don't think strategy is a strong suit. Uh, let's just say that. Look at, look at verse 8. So Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. Right? That sounds like a great plan. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say to us, or if they say thus, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hands, and this will be a sign to us. So think about the plan for a moment. He says, I got an idea. Right? We're on this side of the cliff. They're on that side of the cliff. All right. We'll, we'll go out there. We'll, we'll make sure we give them the, the upper hand, the upper advantage. We'll, we'll, have, we'll be at the low point here. We'll come under, down there. We'll expose our positions. And then we'll ask them what they want us to do, and we'll do whatever that is. <laughs> is that a great strategy? From a, human, from a human standpoint, I'm scratching my head. I'm thinking, Jonathan, really? I mean, you could at least sneak up on him or something, right? But no, it's, we'll come out here, we'll stand here <clears throat> and say, would you like us to come up there or, or do you want to come down here? Would you like us to kill you there or would you like us to kill you here? Your choice. I mean, that's, that's almost cocky. But notice, it's not cockiness in himself, it's cockiness that his God can win that battle. Because, remember, where's his faith? It's not in himself. That's fear of man. His faith is in the sphere of God. He says God can save, whether by many or by few. And so he, it's really not cockiness. It's, it's a sense of, of, of confidence. Now, as an adult, I can't help but think, what a crazy plan. Right? But let's see what happens. Verse, four, or verse 11. We read this. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes they have, where they have been hidden. 
Verse 12. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we'll show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. What confidence he has, what courage he has. He says, all right, armor bearer, follow me, because the two of us are going up to them. We're going up there. By the way, this is ridicule. They endure ridicule. Because when the Philistines are saying, come on up here, we'll show you something. What do you think they want to show them? Right? They're not fooling anybody. It's not like, hey, let's be nice. Hey, we've got a, you know, a special cake for you guys. Or, you know, this is, this is their, their way of saying, yeah, come on up here, we'll show you. Yeah, you can show you something. Come up here and we'll show you what it, what, uh, what it means to encounter the Philistines. This is ridicule. And I found that the, the number one reason why Christians don't witness is that they're afraid of ridicule. Did it stop Jonathan and the armor bearer? No, it just encouraged them to go forward. And you know, it can be easy to lose courage when the enemies laugh at you and the enemies are, are making fun of you and belittling you. But I'll tell you what, don't lose courage. They trusted in God to give them the victory, whether it was by many or by few. Look at verse 3. Continue to read. Or verse 13, excuse me. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. Let me just stop there for a moment. I mean, they're, they're climbing up. If, if, if anyone in here has been rock climbing, and as, as often as I have, it's an exhausting thing, right? It's, so they're going up there. They're already exhausting themselves. They're carrying the one sword and the armor as they're, as they're, they're, they're scrambling up this, uh, uh, up this cliff. And, so, and the armor bearer follows up right after him. Says, and what happened? Verse, the second half of verse 13. And they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. Think about that. The one sword that isn't in the hands of a coward. And Jonathan goes up there and he just starts fighting. And all of a sudden, he starts fighting and they're falling before him. And the armor bearer is coming alongside and, and killing them right after him. I don't even know what he had. Maybe a doll garden hoe? <laughs> we don't know. What he didn't have is a sharp sword. But he goes through and, and he's going, do you think that's because they're just awesome fighters? Or do you think God showed up? God showed up. God shows up. I don't know how they did it, but they start fighting and they start winning. In fact, I can just imagine the, the, the Philistines. They're probably not even thinking of this as a fight. I mean, here these two come in and they're, they're tired and they're coming up like, all right, you get them. Uh, no, you get them. It's your turn. You need, you, know, you need another notch in your helmet or whatever. And, okay. And, so, and all of a sudden, the first guy dies. They're like, whoa, hey, we, have, we better actually fight here. And so all of a sudden, they, they pull out their swords and they come at them and all of a sudden, two, three, four start attacking and guess what? They're dead. And then, and then this goes on, and this goes on. Look at, verse, look at verse 14. We read this. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about a half an acre of land. Two verses 20. Two verses 20 trained soldiers with superior weapons, with superior training, with superior uh, tactics. With su- I mean, they were superior in every way from a human standpoint, and yet they're the ones dying. Isn't that awesome? God showed up. What was the result? Verse 15. And there was trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled, and the earth quaked 
so that it was a very great trembling. What does that mean? The rest of the Philistines saw what happened. And all of a sudden, now they're scared. Now they're the ones that are ready to run and hide. Why? They still have superior numbers. They still have superior weaponry. They still have all this. But they look at this and say, if God can take a teenager and a young man and start wiping us out, imagine what he can do with 600 men. And all of a sudden, they start hightailing it out of there. I mean, you look at that and you say, what happened? What happened here? These two young men put the fear of God into the hearts of the enemies of God. I don't know about you, but I want, I want it to be said of me that the enemies of God were afraid of me. Don't you? And not because I'm great, because anyone who knows me really well can tell you the truth, but because I have faith in God and not in me and not, and not in the enemies. You can put the fear of God into the hearts of the enemy of God. You want to put the fear into the hearts of the enemies of God? Then stop acting like an adult. I know it's weird to hear a pastor say that. Stop acting like an adult. In some ways, I want you to act like an adult. But I don't want you to act like an adult in the sense that we, we begin to become too cautious to take risks and we start to lose that faith in who God is. I want us to return to that childlike faith that says, if God tells me to do it, then he's already got the victory planned out. I don't care if it's by many or by few. Remember the song, I have decided to follow Jesus? What's the second verse? Though none go with me, still I will follow. That's the childlike faith that I would encourage you to have. It's a lesson from the youth today. I, I put it together in three applications. It's really a one-point message, but... I, would, I put it this way, three, three ways of saying it. Number one, stop worrying about the size, strategy, and superiority of God's enemies. You know, we talk about how bad the world is and, and how corrupt it is, and, and we see all that, and that, that's all true, right? We live in a corrupt world, but I get it. But stop focusing on how bad that is. Stop focusing on the size and the strategy of God's enemies. Yeah, of course they're out there. What we should do instead is remember that God always wins. Period. God always wins. So what side do you want to be on? The side with God. Right? And then lastly, I would say, go do something that will put the fear of God into the hearts of the enemies of God. Be bold enough to go out there and witness. Be, get, get out there. That's the one thing that, that Satan and his angels, that's the one thing that they don't want you doing is t- telling others about Jesus Christ. Right? You can't, you can't put the fear of God into the hearts of the enemies of God through your abilities or your skills or, or any of those kinds of things. But you know what's going to put the fear of God into the enemies of God? When you actually have a testimony that, doesn't, that takes the focus off of you and points to God. And say, look, let's look at Jesus Christ. Just as he saved me, he can save you. You get that message out into the world and you're going to have enemies of God crawling. Amen? And that's okay. Because guess what? Number two, God always wins. He can save by many or he can save by few. My encouragement to you today, and I'm not going to ask anyone to come forward today, but my encouragement to you today is to say as we pray, just as to spend a few moments with God and say, God, I'm done being a coward and I'm going to have a courageous finish 
to however much of the, the life that, you, that you've given to me, I'm going to be courageous with what is left. And how do you do that? You decrease your fear of man and you increase your fear of God. It was, it was a blessing to me today to come in and there was a, a lady, I told her I wouldn't share her name, but there's a lady that came up to me this morning as, just before we were coming, getting ready for church. And she said, oh, you know what? I, I clean houses and I clean, I clean house for, uh, for this older man and who's, if I could say it, a grumpy old man. <laughs> this grumpy old man who's old enough that he, he realizes he's got to get his finances together and get things in order, you know, to all, all of his stuff. And she had the boldness to say, hey, can I talk to you about something? Can I talk to you about how you can prepare, not just with all of your physical stuff, but how you can, can prepare your soul for, for that day when you die? And she said he had a blank look on his face like, what on earth are you talking about? And yet this person had the boldness to talk to this this man who was antithetical towards Christianity. And by the end of that conversation, he accepted Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior. Isn't that awesome? I'll tell you what. Youth, I am proud of you. I want to say to the youth here, I'm proud of you for getting off of your bikes and talking to people about Jesus Christ. Keep that up. Adults, don't lose that. Keep that up as well. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, for, thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for the fact we can look at characters in there and we can see ourselves. We can see our own need. We can see how we too can learn from them. And Lord, I pray today we would take a lesson from the youth, from Jonathan's armor bearer, from, from Jonathan himself and even from our own teens, that we would be willing to get out of our comfort zones, decrease our fear of man, and go tell the truth. And Lord, I pray that you would use us to that end. And I pray this in Christ's name.